None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or on any page of KratomScience.com is intended, nor should it be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. For episode 80, we have Jamie from New York, the host of the excellent new Kratom podcast called Everything Kratom. You can find that on Anchor FM or wherever you listen to podcasts. Link in the description. I was looking up, Googling like everyday Kratom, everyday Kratom. Because it's everything Kratom, but I was like, this guy's a podcast on everyday but that's the uh, cool thing about it is the formats for the three you like you're one of the three main podcasts now the other one is um kratom guy show with uh, uh mike overstreet and he does three hour podcasts once a, once a month or something and i i do like an hour a week and you do uh sometimes your conversations are uh 45 minutes an hour and then you also do like uh, little 15 minute ones uh your thoughts on uh certain uh strains or blends is probably the better uh, more accurate term uh and um which is cool. Like, I want there to be more Kratom podcasts because it's still kind of a, like an insular, uh, small community. And, and uh, we really have to branch out before uh, the prohibitionists kind of get a handle on this stuff. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, so what made you uh, want to start a Kratom podcast? Well, I guess it was... It could have been a few things, but I guess it was put on by the fact that there was this whole thing going on with the World Health Organization, and I didn't know any specifics other than I just saw some post on Reddit one day, and it was talking about how we need everybody to rally around Kratom and sign this petition. I was like, that's weird. Like, that, you know, I remember people doing that in 2020. 16 but like there isn't anything happening again right so then i learned yeah. about the whole world health organization thing and um uh it it just kind of like was this second calling because when there was that emergency scheduling proposed you know like four or five or six years ago now um that was like the first time when i really felt like i was a part of a kratom community and up until that point i'd kind of just used Kratom and really enjoyed it, but I, I didn't really think of myself as part of like a community around it. And when that happened, I was like, wow, there's a Kratom community. And uh, so this was like kind of like the second time that happened, but it more made me feel like not only do I feel like I'm part of a community, but like I want to have more contact with everyone because I hadn't heard about this before I saw this post on Reddit. And if I hadn't been just checking Reddit that day, I wouldn't have known. So I don't know. I've always had a romanticized idea of like podcasting, but I didn't know if I could do it. I looked it up. I was like, I'm not going to do a podcast if there's existing podcasts, but like, I would just love to do like an everyday short five, 10 minutes. What are my thoughts? And then leave it at that. And when I looked it up, I saw Kratom Science and I saw the Kratom guy and neither one was like everyday short five minutes 10 minutes Uh thing it was like a completely different thing and i was like all right good you know i won't be stepping on anyone's shoes by doing this but it might be complimentary and that was like what started my thought process about it i think all three of them are complimentary and i think um, mike actually even reached out to me so i was like yeah i like this guy's content and i saw it i listened to a couple a couple months ago and then i and then i noticed it again and i'm like yeah this is good stuff i want to reach out this guy there there should be more kratom podcasts uh you know there's not enough of them in my opinion (laughs) (laughs) where are you from uh i think is is it new york uh, yeah, I'm from New York, originally from Geneseo, New York, is a small town just south of uh, Rochester, New York. Uh, where do you live now? I live on the border of New York and Vermont around Granville. Okay. Oh, yeah, the illegal state, Vermont. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's pretty crazy. That's illegal there. That's that's kind of a curveball. 
<laughs> yeah, and from from what I found out about it, I mean, like, I'm still part of also, I guess, answering your last question a bit more. Part of the reason why I started the podcast is so that you know people could come along for the journeys I learn about kratom because I really you know didn't know anything about it other than the types that I got seemed to work for my purposes and that was it. But now I'm like just because of the podcast, I'm learning about policy and you know so much more. And so from what I, my limited knowledge is, it's classified in Vermont as like a synthetic cannabinoid, which it's not synthetic and yeah. it's not a cannabinoid. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. In Tennessee, that's how they got it overturned based on the fact that it was classified as a synthetic. So it's like technically wrong. And then that's how they got the law overturned. The, there were local activists in Tennessee. So maybe the same thing can happen in Vermont. That'd be interesting. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> You remember 2016, I only started uh, writing about Kratom in 2018 in the fall. So how long have you been using Kratom? Well, I've been using it on and off again since 2011. That's when I was first introduced to it by a friend when I was first going to college. That was my first year of college. And my friend um, uh, came up to me that day and said, hey, I got you know, some interesting things in the mail. There's this thing called Blue Lotus, which is kind of like, you know, a chamomile thing. And then there's Kratom. Huh. And he gave me a couple capsules of Kratom and um, said, oh, it, you know, chills you out. Something like that. Very general statement. And then, uh, and I had, um, going into college, I had very, very mild Tourette's. I didn't have really any vocal tics, but I had physical tics with my head and it was driving me crazy. I had anxiety about it. And here I am in college, like I'm going to be sitting in front of, you know, three rows of students sometimes. I don't want to be like ticking my head all over the place. It's just huh. a self-conscious thing. Um, and uh, and so I took the Kratom, completely forgot I took it, had a great time, you know, at a party that evening. But I wasn't, I didn't feel anything. And when I went to lay in bed that night before going to sleep, I realized I hadn't ticked once, like the whole day. Wow. And it's the first time I hadn't ticked for like, I don't know, five years like, I didn't notice. It was like, it just wasn't a part of my life anymore, which is the goal of anybody who has that issue. <laughs> so it was just amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so I've been using it on and off ever since. When you uh, take breaks, do you do you tick again? I don't tick that much. I do notice I do a little bit, but it's really fascinating. Like, if I didn't have Kratom anymore, I think I would be all right. Like, I think I would tick, but I feel like it's helped me gain control of it. And to do that, I just needed to be able to, like, have some peace for, for at least a few minutes while I figure it out, you know, if that makes sense. And, yeah. and now I've been able to kind of get a better read on my body. So uh, what do you do for work there? I work for a national foundation, philanthropic foundation, gives money to a, a n number of different nonprofits that do things from, you know, it, it can range from, like, uh, helping educators run for office in New York City who want to see change in school policy all the way down to paying, you know, $300 for a, for one school to rent a school bus to take kids on a field trip one day. So it's a pretty wide ranging thing, but um, it's national work. So I work remotely in Vermont and New York. Uh, it says uh, Riverland Streams on your podcast. Is that uh, maybe like your production company or yeah it's kind of like the pen name production company that okay. I came up with a little while back <laughs> yeah your podcast is different than mine I'm most mine's basically an interview podcast uh, and um, I've done a couple with just my own thoughts and uh, yeah that that was terrible so I... <laughs> but but I like it's 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 funny like I want to start a podcast about everything I'm interested in because I, I've been able to have a conversations with scientists people who consume kratom uh, activists journalists just based on this one topic and and surrounding topics and it's it's funny that you know it's just you just have to have, have a podcast if you want to have deep conversations about that i mean i even have my own mom on the show to talk about uh t the stuff that she took when she had cancer that she thought helped her you do a lot of like uh maybe 10 or 15 minutes on uh different uh strains or blends and then you've had uh some really good uh interviews i i really liked the uh one with uh sean zamorano from uh philly kratom uh and it really put in perspective the uh pennsylvania issue uh do you want to talk yeah. about that a little bit or 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, yeah, my, my main goal with the podcast was just doing, you know, like five, 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. Sometimes I get higher than that, but most of the time it's just, it's just meant to be a quick check-in so that every day when someone who uses Kratom wakes up, they have that like consistent connection if they want it. And that was my goal. So, um, as long as there's something there, I think that, you know, mission accomplished, but once in a while I do end up having conversations with people and, um, sometimes it's me reaching out to someone. Sometimes they reach out to me. I think I've only had maybe five or six conversations and most of the time it's just me kind of rambling on and people have to suffer listening to me. But, um, but, but yeah, Sean Zamorano, that was really great. It was awesome talking to him. He is a Kratom advocate. He owns Philly Kratom and he, boy, he knows what's going on at the state level. But then, you know, right after the episode, he like got off and he was going to a local, local meeting in that town and uh, talking about local ordinances, dealing with Kratom near schools and churches and stuff. And, and uh, he's, he has a very well-rounded perspective on it. And um, I don't know, I really enjoyed that conversation because he was like, Hey, I don't, I don't have a problem with part of the rules that they're even proposing. And I said that I'm going to say that at the meeting. And I just think that there needs to be some, you know, rational think around this or this. So I really loved hearing his perspective on Pennsylvania. Obviously the Kratom related deaths thing that the FDA came out with was like uh, really bad, but now there's like some parents groups coming out that said my son died of Kratom. Usually in one case, in that Pennsylvania case, the guy uh, had a heart condition, I think, um, and he ended up having a seizure while he was driving. He was on an inordinate amount of Kratom, I think, and uh, he was in a car accident, unfortunately. So what's your take? on on all that it's been a really interesting learning experience as i've been looking into it all because i definitely don't have like an agenda here like if if i found out tomorrow that kratom kills i would like be like okay kratom kills like i'm I'm not trying to like prove anything you know but but it's just it's just very blatantly obvious that if you're trying to find kratom deaths if you're trying to find kratom deaths just the act of trying means that there aren't many like by definition (laughs) and then on top of that when you start combing through this data and everyone comes through it and they're like okay well this person was shot six times also (laughs) and oh this person also fell out of a window yeah and this person was in a car crash it's just it once okay twice maybe coincidence it's like 20 times okay there's it's it's not it's not the issue. And also, I think that it's interesting that um, I just saw this study last week. I think I did an episode on it. They're all blurring together now, <laughs> but I think I did. Um, and it was on the potential for respiratory depression when it comes to metragyny and the active alkaloid. And um, I'm, I'm a terrible scientist, but when it comes to reading through it, and it took me like an hour to get through like a couple pages, my basic understanding was that there's a ceiling. There's an actual ceiling. And that after a certain point, you can't, and th- and that ceiling's very high. So, you know, if you're taking 60, 80 grams of kratom, you know, at a time, which I don't, it, other than Axtrex, you know, it's like eating a salad, like a, you just physically, I, like how, I don't know how people do it, but um, I, I think extracts is the one thing that I would, at this point, be comfortable in taking a very close look at and thinking, okay, you know, we are finding, I, I, I don't know how many, the thing I would like to know, I guess, is how many of these deaths uh, where Kratom is considered the cause, quote unquote, um, and where the amount of Kratom in them is enormously high, how many of those were they just taking shot after shot of extracts? In which case, you know, even if there's a ceiling effect, like taking that much of anything, that's just scary to me. So I, I don't know. I'd be comfortable with like taking a look at extracts and how they play a role. But as far as Kratom's concerned, like, with all the evidence I've seen, it's just insane to think that it's the cause of any of this. I'm not saying Kratom is as safe as water, but people have had water intoxication. And if you yeah. sat if you sat two guys down, one guy with a pile of co- a truckload of coffee and the other guy with a truckload of Kratom, and they started spooning it their, into their mouths, the guy on the caffeine bike, LD50 tests, would, uh, would die a lot quicker than the guy that eaten all the kratom about twice as toxic caffeine pure caffeine as pure my is and um yeah. but it's different i'm not saying that 
kratom uh, dependency is the same as coffee dependency. It's different. It, it's and and because of the opioid factor, some people want to keep taking more and more and more, and then they get to the point where they think they can swallow a whole bag of it or or down a. 12 pack of extracts and 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 it's usually young men that they've tested for a lot of things there and there might have been something in their system that they didn't test for we've had recent cases of like fenibut adulteration mm. with kratom in colorado uh was real recent and they don't always test for that on uh, uh routine like uh toxicology reports but um there was one guy that i just foia'd um, the 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 uh, toxicology report for that had an inordinate amount of just my tragedy uh, and none of the other common drugs at least. But it's if people were doing the same thing with coffee, they were grinding up coffee powder and just guzzling a pound of it with water. It's just not how you do it. There's definitely, I think, there's like a learning curve. Would you agree with that? That that has to be overcome. Oh, sure. Definitely. And, and, you know, to the, to the other part of your question about like people, um, families who are, who, you know, lose somebody, um, mothers in particular, you know, like I, I, my brother was an addict. He was an addict for 10 years. Um, he was hooked on opioids, heroin in particular, but a number of different drugs. And it was really painful for it just to see him on and off going through this whole terrible cycle. Um, and there were times when we were really afraid that he was gone, like we didn't know where he was. He didn't contact us. And we were like, oh, my God, he's overdosed somewhere. And and a few times he did overdose, but there was Narcan around. And it was like, if he if we had thought about it so much that I'm used to thinking that where it's like, oh, if we had heard that he had died and he had this weird drug in his system that we'd never heard of before, I would want to know what the heck that thing was and why it killed my brother. You know, like in addition to the other things I can. I can imagine thinking that way. So I never blame them for thinking that way. And I have a lot of sympathy for it yeah. being close to that situation. But, but when, when you have, but if I found and my brother is gone now, um, but, but if, if we had found him and he had like 12 different drugs in his system and then Kratom, I, I don't think I'd be focusing on that one thing. I'd be like, okay, 12 different drugs killed him. And this other thing did too, I guess. But like, I don't understand the focus on it. That's what I don't get. I don't get why there's this focus on the Kratom when there's cocaine, fentanyl, and like three other things. Why is the Kratom the thing? Is it just because they don't know what it is? I don't know. Oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, is If you don't mind my asking, I don't, I'll cut it out. No, no, no. But, but was it an uh, overdose that... That, uh, yeah, no, it him. wasn't. We um, it's fine for asking. Um, but thanks. He, yeah, he was on and off dealing with addiction, and then uh, he he finally he he was in prison for a couple of years and got clean while he was there, and uh, and the whole time he wanted to get off of the drugs, and so he was very happy to be clean. He got out of prison in uh, 2019 or 2018. Um, ended up going up to Alaska and becoming a kayak guide. And so in 2019, 2020, he was a kayak guide and loved the job, was physical and everything and was clean. And then the pandemic hit and most people uh, stopped working and he kept working um, because the place needed workers and he was willing to do it. And then, but he was overworked and it was also getting dark up there and long winters and he started having bad feelings again about you know doing drugs again and so he he uh he ended up starting to do them again and um then in january uh this past year january 2021 we uh we he went missing and um we ended up finding out that he had taken his own life because he uh he he just couldn't handle it anymore so it, it was a very sad ending to this story when we really thought that he had made it through so um uh it's a difficult thing but um it uh (laughs) well how do you end that sentence it's a difficult thing yeah that's it that's it i i lost a sibling too to cancer it'll be 20 years now but uh yeah i'm sorry to hear that man uh i lost a really close friend to suicide uh, when i was 18 19 but uh, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, of course. So um, you you talk a lot about strains. Um, uh, do you have uh, 
preferred strains or blends. Uh, I hope we get to a point where the labs, lab in- infrastructure set up because it's not quite there yet that we could have relatively cheap testing and we could all know what alkaloids are in there and then we could have research to tell us what the alkaloids or combination of alkaloids do. Uh, one might be speedy, one might be opioid. You have a lot of episodes on green malay, this, that. Uh, what kind yeah, of yeah. strains do you prefer and, and do you use different ones and do you find that they're kind of consistent vendors or are they not? Uh, that's that's a good question. Um, well, yes. So I definitely have some preferred ones and it's somewhat shifted since I started doing the podcast. I really, I love doing this podcast because it just, it changes my view of Kratom all the time and it causes me to be I don't know, more active about how I'm experiencing it. So yeah. I'm thinking about it more. So it's good for me, I think. Um, I've, I think that one constant throughout the whole time is that I've definitely really enjoyed white Indo. And that one is probably my go-to every day. And I usually, uh, when I don't take Kratom every day, but it's, it's a pretty useful tool I use quite often, at least a few times a week. I, I'll take it, you know, maybe like around one o'clock when I'm, uh, midway through work and I still have a lot to do and it's like starting on the second half of the day it's like a huge boost of energy for me and it just syncs really well with my body and then um but also so I, I was really into whites when I started the podcast but I kind of discovered the power of greens while I while I've been doing it so now I'm all about green mangda in the morning it starts off my day with just this nice, smooth building energy. And it's like white Indo is a punch of energy for me, but green mangda like builds over time. And that's exactly what I need in the morning rather than having like a, a, a punch of energy and then like, oh, I'll do it again in two hours, maybe or three. So I, I've been learning a schedule that works for me. I also really like um, white tie and uh, green tie. I, I think I like white tie better. Um, I do like red tie though. I'm not about the reds too much, but I do. I love red tie. And, um, and from there, it's just kind of anyone's guess. I mean, I've been trying new things. I really like white, uh, Borneo, which I never had tried before, you know, like a month or two ago. Um, and I mean, it's a whole new world. I love it. Do you find like though, that these brands of white tie mangda are consistent with different vendors because oh, right. i think vendors try to name them it, it's it's all for one thing it's all slang it's it's not right. a botanically right. different strains and people like to bring that up to show how smart they are or whatever but <laughs> but it's, it's we know we know it's sl- it, strain is slang term but the thing is when people go on google they look up kratom strains and they come that's why vendors use the term strains hopefully we could evolve out of that and say blends or whatever but do you find like some of the like a mangda might be the same from one vendor to the other a red or a green or a white might be kind of consistent yeah no it's a great question i forgot that that was the second part of your question um that's something that i've been starting to really pay attention to um, when I started the podcast, I like I, I think the first three episodes I did was like, you know, white strains, green strains and red strains that I like or don't like or whatever. And someone sent me a message like I only had five listeners, you know, at that point. And like one of the five sent me a message and was like, you're wrong. <laughs> it's like you don't use <laughs> there the are word really strains. strains they were like, actually they were like you use the word variety. And I was like, OK, so I've been saying varieties yeah. uh, ever since. Yeah. And uh, I think it's good. But um, so I think I think that I have found that like if I were to be given a t- uh, if I were to be given Kratom, you know, without knowing what it is and asked to identify it, I might be able to. Um, but it would have to like if I was given white Indo, I would know just because I've I've had white Indo and I've had it from a few different sources. And that one, more or less, I have found has been similar. But when it comes to Mangda, it's like the biggest up in the air I've ever seen. Like I've never had one consistent mangda product in my life (laughs) and and that's definitely true for most of the others but i one or two i think that i have found has been similar i was look i was looking into um like gold kratom the other day and i did an episode on that and like was just looking up gold kratom as i was doing the episode which usually i do my research before but i kind of wanted to do like a interactive hey while you're listening to this podcast i'm going to be looking this up and see what we find and it was like one website said gold is 
uh, red kratom that is dried this way, and then it's blended with green. And then someone else was like, no, it's not that, although a lot of people will say this, it's that. And there's like three different conflicting websites. And then the last website was great because it was like, what's gold kratom? I don't know. <laughs> Nobody yeah, knows. Yeah. It's it's whatever people make it to be. It's just green and red. It really and is. From there's good. Yeah. There aren't really different plants. There's a uh, rye fat. Uh, this guy, Claude Rye Fat, developed probably what is a different strain than might be in uh, Thailand or Indonesia, but... I think it's really the drying process, right? I mean, is that what you uh, ascertain? Because it's—I don't know if there are like red stem, green stem, white stem on on different trees. Yeah, I mean, I I have no idea. That's the the elephant in the room for me, and like I'm always trying to be transparent about the fact that I really don't know. I yeah. from what I've read, <laughs> from what I've read, it's. The only thing that I've found that I think is really interesting when it comes to differentiating how Kratom's going to act on you is the idea of fermenting leaves. That's really interesting to me because huh. that is the difference between green and black and oolong tea. It's like a fermentation process. Yeah. It's like, okay, that I can identify with and I can like put a face to the name with that. So I can imagine that having to do something with how it's going to be and how it's going to act. But like, yeah, all I know is that it has something to do with drying. I, I, I've seen people say kratom leaves, they all have this type of, you know, stem unless you do this to it. I'm like, oh, so I don't know. And the way we're talking now, like, I don't know, maybe it does this, that. This is how the scientists, this is about where they're at because they really don't know either. Uh <laughs> <laughs> they're getting they're getting to it i mean i know i had uh dr mccurdy on and and uh dr brian pearson who's a horticulturalist they are in the beginning stages of just growing their own plants picking them at different times uh testing the alkaloids here and there um and it's like a full uh mass spectrometry type of test that they're doing and in the philippines they found like no mitragenine in their uh leaves but people still use it and get effects from it soren uh from top tree is in west virginia and he brought me up a kratom plant that i have growing under a grow light in my basement and uh they harvested all their leaves he he brought me a bunch of fresh, huge fresh leaves from uh, one of their plants, and uh, it had an effect chewing it, making a fresh leaf tea out of it. it had a, a total effect, and he was like, the, they were like way low in my tragedy, and they had like speciosiliatine or something. It was high hmm. in that, and I'm like... Hmm. Well, that's weird because it had a total effect. I, I I even like put five leaves in a tea once, and I was like, "Whoa, that was a little too much," you know. Actually, it was actually good. I I was just like shocked by how much of an effect it had, and then he told me that they were like all super low my tragedy, <laughs> and I was like, "All right, well, that's weird." I think we do know, and I talked to Dr. McCurdy about this. Is seven uh, hydroxy is the molecule or compound that is actually stronger than morphine if it, it were to be isolated. Luckily, it's it's not cost-effective to extract that. It would cost more than it, it would be worth, luckily, because then some of these shady vendors will be sprinkling it all over their product. I mean, they say abuse potential. I think that's an outdated word, but they use it in pharmacology. I, I think they should call it dependency potential because you can get dependent on it quicker. It not only happens in the metabolism, but it happens in the drying of the leaf because you're adding oxygen, hydroxy, 7-hydroxymetragenine uh, versus metragenine. Did you ever think about that? Like, I guess in... Um with fresh leaf versus dried leaf uh, over here where people might be developing more severe dependency issues. I mean, do you think that's the case? Because in the old country where it's from, on the in Southeast Asia, they say there's never been deaths. Uh, maybe old men are dependent on it, but, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Yeah, I have thought about that a lot. I um, I've wondered... You know, I, I'm sure people make this comparison in their heads if they think about it, but it just reminds me of, you know, cocaine coming from cocoa leaves. It's like the exact same thing. You Absolutely. Chewing on the leaves, doing really tough, arduous work, really high elevation. And 
it's not like you hear about a bunch of cocaine addicts in Peru, but then you bring it up here as a concentrated powder and looking very different than how it looks on a tree. And you've got a bunch of issues in the eighties. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, I feel like it, it can be a very, very broad general connection there, you know, with Kratom. Like I've always wondered, I know I'm not actually getting the straight up leaf. What has this thing gone through to get to me? And how is this different from just picking the thing off of the tree and just munching on it, you know? So I have thought about that a lot. And I know that, um, again, it kind of goes back to the extracts thing. And I, I looked at the, the eight factor analysis that the AKA put out last year, the updated eight factor analysis. And one of the few things I found in that, where it was like talking about Kratom in a negative light with the LD 50 with mice and everything was that they found a lot more evidence of addiction and respiratory depression when 7-hydroxymetragenine was concentrated versus metragenine they found remote like hardly anything if yeah. anything at all but 7 was the i mean that's and then from there on i learned oh well that may that's probably why all these kratom consumer protection acts are limiting 7-hydroxymetragenine to 2% or less it's a good law to think if that was extracted there would be a much bigger problem it seems like my tragedy at University of Florida, they're developing it into, they want to develop it into a pain relieving and also um, uh, opioid dependence treating drug. Dr. Uh, Abhishek Sharma, when I interviewed him, he, he said it's like four opioid withdrawal treating drugs in one because it hits so many receptors just the mitragenine compound dr mccurdy told me is like the the alkaloids acting in concert are completely different than because they've done studies with lyophilized kratom tea where they basically make kratom tea they make the purest kratom tea with all the alkaloids so they're not taking out any alkaloids but they're i think they're like freeze drying it grinding it and like making it into a tea that there's a process and we we talked about it on the our journal club segment of the podcast he's saying you know it's like a symphony orchestra if you have just one violin playing then it'll sound different than the orchestra together which is how the alkaloids work <laughs> it's the same thing and he said seven hydroxy you might if you just amplify that one thing and it's the only thing playing it might even be up there with fentanyl in terms of uh opioid and i'm not clear whether it's a uh, a full or partial agonist on the opioid receptors um, I'm not clear whether it, you, you were talking about respiratory depression before, I'm not clear whether it, uh, how much of it causes that, but you said there is a ceiling for Kratom, right? Well, I mean, again, I'm clarifying, I don't know for sure, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. but the most recent studies that I did read through the other day, it, I mean, from what I could tell, it was very scientific language, so I just had trouble getting through it, but from what I could tell, they were saying that there's... It, you take kratom, you know, enzymes act on it, and the the respiratory depression can there can be a ceiling for it because it's like you it's limited on the amount that the enzymes can act on it. Like if there yeah. are no more, if the enzymes are limited, then that's how much you can have. And then on top of that, seven hydroxymetragenine it shows a, high, a more of a potential for having a you know respiratory depressant effect that's what the eight factor analysis was showing it wasn't a, an yeah. extremely high thing you know you still have to take a, a whole ton of it but um it showed any evidence whatsoever versus metragenine it showed hardly any how do mm. you um take kratom do you do capsules or toss some wash mix it with juice yeah most people think i'm insane i i just toss it and wash it or i <laughs> do it in a tea like i just I don't know. I like to. Capsules I do for traveling, but um, yeah. Okay. Like when you travel, do you do you always bring Kratom or, and do you have any problem with that? A lot of people think you'd have a problem with that, but I actually, my best friend works for TSA and he said, we're looking for bombs. We don't care. You know, I, I do worry about it sometimes. Like when I, when I travel with it, not as much anymore. I've traveled with it a few times in different settings now where I'm comfortable doing it more or less. Um, I mean, trains, no problem. Buses, no problem. Uh, obviously. And then when it gets to, you know, like, uh, flying. Okay. Is it within the country? Yes. 
I'm not really worried about it, but I'm not going to bring like the, I'm not going to bring powder anymore. I ha- I mean, like I have, I have traveled with just a bag of Kratom powder. I make sure that I don't open it beforehand. Like I want it to just be a sealed product. Yeah. Um, for some reason that makes me feel better, <laughs> but, but, um, but I, d- I don't want like green powder everywhere. I don't want it open previously, but with, um, capsules, it just, I think about it. I'm like, I mean, you go through a metal detector and they're like, okay, that could be like, you know, turmeric in a capsule or, yeah. you know, it could be anything and they, they're not going to check and they never have. I actually have, so I don't worry about it within the country, but, um, I have traveled outside of the country once with Kratom. I flew to Scotland. I brought powder and they did not care. So, so I haven't had any issues with it, but I still am very cautious. Do you have a tolerance to Kratom and have you ever had to take tolerance breaks or got to that level? I've been surprisingly lucky when it comes to that. I I mean, I have developed a tolerance to it here and there, but overall, even if I take the same if i take the same type of kratom every single day for a week i'm really not going to need like a higher dosage maybe i would but i take such a small amount to begin with i i really don't need much i i read so much and hear so much from people saying i take 6 grams or i take like 4 grams or something and like for me like 3 grams is my limit like i i need between one and a half and three grams is my perfect like sweet spot and then after wow. that it's yeah. just kind of unnecessary for me so I don't really like take that much compared to a lot of other people. I know everybody's body is different. So I don't like think that like, oh, I, I take a, the right amount. Like I think that everybody's body's processing it differently. But but um, but I do, uh, you know, I, I don't find myself needing to increase my dosage hardly ever. I think it's happened maybe a couple times like for for one or two white varieties. But I've um, overall, you know, it'd be like, oh, I need to take I feel like I need an extra half a gram or a gram. It's it's just not anything that bothers me. That's the same thing with me. I've never developed a tolerance. I, I just it's just there in our next to our coffee and tea and my yeah. wife takes it. I mean, she had side effects from her vaccine her COVID vaccines and she took it and it helped her get up to work. And she does that. If she's groggy, she'll take some Kratom. I don't do it when I drink, which there's periods where I drink and then I uh, go off drinking for like six weeks and I'll take Kratom like four or five days a week and it helps me with whatever mental thing that makes me drink, which is mainly anxiety, I guess, in general. Uh, but but Kratom gives me like a feeling of well-being that I would get usually with alcohol. But are you open about your Kratom use with like your friends, family, co-workers? Um, yeah, well, you know, co-workers, yes, but, uh, with the caveat that, like, I've told them about it once and they think it's interesting, but it's like, I don't, like, keep bringing it up because yeah. I'm worried, <laughs> but as much as, like, I don't feel like this is a necessary topic because I don't want to, it's, it, it's, and this could go a whole other way in terms of our conversation, but it's just interesting how, for some reason, people just they can't understand Kratom when you explain it to them and they always got to know more or don't quite grasp it all unless they're actually like a part of this community and really like taking it. And um, yeah. so it's just, it's just cause it's like a complex thing to explain. And the second you bring up, it acts on the opioid respector. It's a, it's a partial, op- you know, agonist or whatever the word is. It's like you lose them, you know, cause they're like, yeah. Oh, opioid. And, and so I don't really bring it up with people like, that often but with friends totally open about it and um that's because i have more time to explain to them you know what it is and uh i feel like you know over the course of the time that i see them or i'll see them a few times you know i can bring it up again or they bring it up again and i'm like well actually this whereas if i'm in like a work setting it's like it's not going to come up often enough where i can get across what this thing is so i'm just not going to bother my family does know that i that i use it and they um are they're glad that it works for me and glad that I also don't rely only on Kratom. Um, I, uh, when I was right before college, I would use, uh, like I, I was using a few different pharmaceuticals that I was prescribed for my tics and then for like, um, anxiety. And it really just wasn't right for me. Like it, 
making yourself a chemistry experiment is scary and i i really didn't like it and and it had some poor effects on me so my parents were really glad when they saw that like this natural leaf that i just have to take like just a very small amount of it and then my head doesn't move against my will anymore like what is this <laughs> the whole thing about it like it's a legal substance if you're going from one state to another like you shouldn't have to hide it it's kind of like there's a shame still attached to kratom uh because it probably it does cause dependency and 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 it does feel really great but I, what do you think about all that with the, like the shame of it it's a legal substance it's not yeah. harming most of us like the vast majority of us who who take it well i totally agree and and i didn't i haven't told my like primary care doctor about it i just i just <laughs> it's kind of almost the same reasoning with the uh with the tsa thing it's like Yes, maybe it would end up okay, but it's going to take a long time <laughs> to talk through this. It's gonna <laughs> they don't know so yet either. They don't have the information. I almost like think yeah. like let's educate them, but I also have a alcoholism diagnosis <laughs> in the past, and That's, I don't know if it's yeah. going to fuck up my insurance or what. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a lot of people who have had drug addiction are they're afraid to talk to their doctor about this stuff. Yeah, that's that's kind of the thing that I think about this all the time. It's such a great topic you're bringing up because there is a, a huge stigma with it. And it's, you know, it's I've seen a lot of different numbers, but let's just say, you know, ballpark 40 percent to 60 percent of Kratom users are using it in part to help them with coming over out of an addiction of some sort. Like I've seen numbers around that area plenty of times to to think that that's about right. Um, maybe it's a little less, maybe it's a little more, who knows, but um so there's gonna be stigma you said <laughs> stigma <it. laughs> my goodness i'm listening yeah i said it okay i said uh there's gonna be that stigma uh attached to it especially for people who don't know what this other thing is i guess there's just my thoughts are and this goes into what you, you know kratom science published uh and i love this article i did an episode on it the the idea of caffeine i think that to change the narrative about yeah. kratom you Thank you so much, caffeine. by the way. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it was an excellent article. It's it's exactly the sort of way that, that I think the narrative needs to change. It's not that it needs to be enough, like a narrative that goes on the offense from the defense, because I don't think that that's going to help. But, but if there's this thing that, like, most of America uses every morning that is literally giving them a lot of energy and it's just not cocaine <laughs> and yeah. you drink it every morning in a tea but it's a coffee or whatever like why can't someone drink a, a piping hot cup of tea of kratom tea in the morning and get the exact same results yeah and it's like a, it's it's like be ashamed of that it's really weird to me that people can't understand that that's the thing that i don't get everybody's using coffee it's like as if coffee doesn't exist like caffeine is scary like why why is that yeah. it, people get addicted to caffeine all the time and they get headaches and stuff and like they're nausea when they stop drinking it and it's like okay people get headaches and nausea when they stop taking kratom so there you go like like even if that's yeah. like the worst case scenario for kratom now you're now kratom and coffee are considered the same you know positives and negatives so yeah. what's your problem with kratom <laughs> and there have been literally guys who, who have died of a, a teaspoon of caffeine powder in australia there was a, a kid who died a kid i'd say he's like in his 20s it's it's all dudes in their 20s that do this stuff he took a teaspoon of this uh heavily concentrated like pure caffeine he died and his parents came out they got it so that i think it's illegal in australia to sell uh concentrated caffeine powder mm -hmm. and there's a big learning curve that's what that's what i said before i mean you think of it like i hear so many people you know either through work or like other people being like hey you know it's you know four in the afternoon like hell how are you doing and they're like oh it's a three cup of coffee day and it's like wow you're drinking three cups of coffee because you need three cups of coffee to get through your day and that's fine <laughs> i'm not judging you but it's like if i take kratom like three times a day at two grams each yeah. You know, don't look at me weird. <laughs> it's not like I'm doing anything different than just, you. Like, just I'm just, we're all trying to get through our day, man. Yeah. Oh, you talked about, like, Tylenol and white tie. Like, I would not recommend, 
large amounts. I've read a case report where a guy was on like 3,500 milligrams of Tylenol a day, and then he started taking Kratom, and he got a liver injury. He survives, but it's like I wouldn't recommend that or alcohol, but a little bit I think maybe would be all right. Can you talk about that? I think I've done, when it comes to alcohol, I think I did one or two episodes talking about my experience with that and i like i'm not a heavy drinker to begin with but yeah ever since i've started using kratom like my you know desire for alcohol has gone to zero then i find that you know i also when i drink any sort of alcohol it doesn't really matter what it is for the most part like and i've taken kratom it almost like kills the effects of the kratom so it's just i'd rather have the effects yeah. of the kratom yeah. than the alcohol so i don't really combine those hardly ever and i don't really advocate for it um, when it comes to the Tylenol thing, yeah, that was an interesting day because I had, uh, I think I had like, I didn't go crazy the night before, but I had like maybe like a little too much to drink before bed and, um, and I went to sleep and I woke up the next day and I had a, a slight headache, like a little bit of a hangover headache. And, um, so I, I was going to take like two Tylenol and then go to work and, but but my past experience with that is that if I have a hangover, even if I eat like a really hearty breakfast or whatever and do everything you're supposed to do and drink plenty of water, if I take like a Tylenol or two, it somewhat makes my headache go away. But for some reason, it just makes me feel like sluggish even more. And I just don't get through it. Like my hangover ends at like 8 p.m. when the day is over. And it's like, great, I just wasted all of today. And when I try um, Kratom for a hangover, it can be helpful, but it can also hurt, and it's kind of up in the air, and I know Kratom can dehydrate you too, so I don't like using Kratom for that reason. So I thought maybe um, maybe I just did a little white tie and one Tylenol and see what that does. And I, I did a very small amount of white tie. I don't know how much, but it was you know maybe a gram. I don't think I did hardly anything. And, um, and it was really helpful because the Tylenol took away my headache, but the white tie gave me a teeny bit of a boost to the point where I didn't feel sluggish anymore. And the effects of the hangover just kind of went away. But it was a very, very small, it was like the basic smallest amount of Tylenol you can take and then like half a gram, a gram of white tie. So I definitely wouldn't advocate for combining high amounts of either one or even medium amounts. But that was just an interesting thing that happened that I shared. I encourage every kratom consumer to get their liver tested, and and because I've seen, I'm I'm doing an article on these uh, liver bad toxic moments, and a lot mm-hmm. of people don't know that they had fatty liver disease, and they started taking kratom, and it wasn't good. Why do you think you kratom helps you? I mean, uh, we talked about your. Uh, Tourette's and your tics and that but is there like a deeper anxiety uh you might be mourning the loss of your brother does it help you in like a deeper emotional way or mental health way it's a good question i i think that you know it spawned out of just you know realizing wow it took my tics away and then um, i used it for a few years a little bit and then like i literally forgot about it like i you know ran out one day and just never popped up in my head to get more because like at that point i had been you know just kind of not thinking about it that much and um so i didn't take it for a few years and then i had started taking it in 2016 or so or whenever that dea proposed ban was which is what got me more you know uh <laughs> lit the fire under me to, to get more involved with it and to think about it more but yeah. um but you know the for the more recent part of my life taking it i think that the primary reasons have been, you know, I was taking it before my brother passed away and I was taking it not because of mental health reasons necessarily, but I do yeah. have anxiety, social anxiety. Yeah. And I also, I don't have problems with motivation. I'm actually very good at getting all my work done. And, but sometimes it, I feel like there's just a, there's a wall in the way. Like I even want to get this thing done, but it's like, I just, there's some wall in my brain. It's like, you know, you are, you want to do it, but you're not there. You don't have the oomph to do it. And, and Kratom, like the second that I take Kratom within one minute, it's like, I don't even feel the effects of Kratom yet. And maybe that's placebo, but then I've also like had days where like, you know, I don't know. I, I just can tell right away that like, okay, I'm going to be able to do this. And then a few minutes later, when I start feeling the Kratom, the first effect that I get from it almost always green or white uh, or red, which is interesting. I'll talk about that in a sec, 
is the first thing I get is what is it that you want to do? <laughs> let's do it. Like clap your hands together. Yeah. Let's do this thing. And, and I just think, so that's like been the primary reason. And I use reds for reading because reading is just like a nice relaxing thing at night. But sometimes I have trouble just sitting there and reading through a book, but I love reading books. And if I take yeah. up just one gram, two grams of red tie, I will read a book all night long. I love it. Wow. Um, but the, uh, but then after my brother passed away, you know, that week I didn't take any Kratom purposefully because I just, I don't think that it messes with how I perceive anything, but I just wanted to deal with the pain as it was and yeah. didn't want to have any external factors, you know, like I wasn't drinking, I wasn't smoking marijuana, yeah. even though I hardly ever do that and I didn't take Kratom. But, um, but after that, I started taking it kind of like how I used to, I don't find that it's for a mental health thing for me that much. But when I'm having a tough day or I'm just down and it's not something serious that I just want to cover up, but it's more of just like, eh, I'm just kind of sad today. Um, uh, green Malay or green Mangda, my, if I take that within a half an hour, 45 minutes, my mood improves tenfold and I just have a better outlook on life. So I definitely use it for that way. You know, the one thing I've found that I've talked about on my show a couple times now, but I, I feel like I haven't really seen too much elsewhere is Blue Lotus is, is that's the first time I discovered Kratom. My friend gave me that and he gave me Blue Lotus and Blue Lotus is this water lily that's from Southeast Asia. It's from Egypt. Originally people yeah. in Egypt 2000 years ago would drink Blue Lotus tea and, or smoke it. And, um, and they would just use it as a socialization thing. And it's, it calms you down and it helps you with social anxiety. Um, it kind of reminds me of chamomile, the way it makes me feel. So blue Lotus and Kratom are like peanut butter and jelly for anyone who doesn't know. And I, and I don't know any of the science behind it. And I certainly am not recommending anyone do anything, but from my own experience, it's, it's a fascinating combination that is like the, the most, uh, symbiotic symbiotic thing i've ever found and and i don't see much material on it so i just think that's interesting what do you have coming up on the podcast do you have any uh plans new guests anything yeah i've got i actually have a conversation with uh joey from joey talks on youtube oh that, yeah that's gonna be uh tomorrow and that that's really exciting so i think people will enjoy that one that's great I, um, I i just was told about him a little while ago so i he's a really interesting guy and really smart and i think it's a great conversation awesome that was jamie host of everything kratom link is in the description so far on the kratom science podcast we don't advertise and we don't ask for donations but we do ask for your support if you could share this on social media like subscribe rate review comment the music is risey the song is memories of thailand kratom science podcast written and produced by me brian gallagher for kratomscience.com take care